So we're going to hear those words of John the Baptist that we've been referring to so much this morning now. The reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verses 19 to 34. So that's John, chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one who I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the word of the Lord. It's now time. Sorry, I still need to say something. Thank you. (laughs) It's now time for the, uh, uh, what are you called? Alternative to, to go out upstairs. So if you are aged... Uh, 11 to 14, that's school years, 7 to 9, then um, Jordan and Ione are heading upstairs now, if you would like to go with them up to the upstairs room. Thanks. Thank you. Um, thanks to the tech team, the only ministry that gets noticed when something starts buzzing or going wrong. Uh, thank you for your hard work. Thank you, Dan, and the worship group as well. Let's pray um, before we delve into this uh, scripture together. Lord God, as we read these words of the author, John, we're mindful of the time and energy that went into them so he would communicate something to us here 2,000 years later. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's uh, with us today. And as we open it, as we uh, allow it to reveal something of you, 
I pray that your spirit would dwell on us. Lord God, let us be changed and transformed through the power of your word. Amen. Well, this is the second of our series looking at the Gospel of John. Last week, we had in some weighty theological terms with John uh, introducing this contrast between who Jesus was and the creation story. This week, we have our first character that the author puts in our path. Our reading last week told us who this was going to be, told us of the Baptist who came as a witness to testify concerning the light, the Baptist. John the Baptist was going to tell us something of who this Jesus was. Now in this passage, the author puts some flesh on the claim. In this few verses, we're reading what is in effect an interrogation report. John was being interrogated. It was a New Testament version of like a police statement. Not something to be taken lightly. These interrogators were weighty personalities. The Jews from Jerusalem asked John the Baptist, Who are you? Who are you, they asked him. And why was he going around doing what he was doing? These were inspectors checking up on who was saying what and what they were saying. Through, I've got to be careful here, John the Baptist and John the author. So there's too many Johns in this story. John the Baptist was setting off some alarm bells along the way. And the baptism inspectors were coming along to find out just what on earth was going on. Now it's not nice to be reported and investigated. Maybe you yourself have had some personal experience of being reported and investigated. I've been here for a year now, so I can tell this story. I was once interrogated at Heathrow Airport for trying to take a knife on a plane. Now, it's not as serious as it might sound. In my defence, I'd packed my bag in a rush, thrown my rain jacket in, and unbeknownst to me, there was a gardening knife still in the pocket. But two big security and policemen wanted to know why on earth, on the x-ray machine, a knife had shown up and why I was intending to take it on the plane. Not a pleasant experience. John the Baptist was being interrogated. Why are you doing this thing? What's going on? Their question started with a big one and John the Baptist preempts it. Start of a 10. Are you the Messiah they wanted to know? It's a big question in this uh, culture, in this environment. Bigger than anything else. There was a cultural obsession with the Messiah. Where is he? When's he coming? Who is he? People would pretend to be the Messiah, so they wanted to know, John, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who will overthrow the Romans? Are you the one that will bring something from the old story into the new story? I don't think there's anything that compares with that cultural obsession Today, I was chatting to the young people. We couldn't think of anything that had this sort of intensity to it. There's an unknown thing going to happen, and everyone wants to know who it is. The interrogators play best of three. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Or are you a prophet, they say? Remember, John really likes threes. There's lots of threes in the Gospel of John. So, John, are you 
the Messiah, the Son of God. No, he says, I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. Secondly, they say, are you Elijah? Now, Elijah technically didn't die. In the, in the book, there's this apocalyptic image of him boarding a flaming chariot, flying up into the sky. That story was ingrained. Are you Elijah, the prophet, who might bring about something of that dreadful day when the Lord comes back? Elijah coming back was a sign. Many people in that day, you know, you buy dress-up uh, costumes. Many people would dress up as Elijah, pretending to be him, coming into towns and cities and saying, I'm Elijah, come back to here. Are you Elijah, they say to John the Baptist. No, I'm not. Are you a prophet? Prophets would come and go, like Moses, figures that would come and predict something. Are you a prophet? No, I'm not. I'm not a Messiah. I'm not Elijah, and I'm not a prophet. Who are you then? The interrogators wanted to know. And why are you doing this thing called baptism outside of their authority and control? And John the Baptist says a remarkable thing. I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John the Baptist says, I'm the voice. Those interrogating him would know exactly where to go. They would go to the book of Isaiah. I've lost my um, screen thing. I don't know if that will appear at some point. They'd go straight to the book of Isaiah. What a way to describe yourself. It's clear, it's powerful. It's a term that, they, that he used. He could have said many things at that point that would have got him into serious trouble. But he said the one thing no one really had ever thought about in the end, that the voice was a person. Now let's jump to the book of Isaiah because this is what the passage demands of us. Isaiah is a, is a prophetic book that talks at the beginning announcing God's judgment on Israel because of their corruption, their stinking bad fruit, Isaiah says, that the community's producing. It talks about the community of God being chosen but these people were the very opposite. Something had gone so, so wrong. As I move on to announce God's judgment, and then in chapter 40, we have this. And this passage is a hinge in the book of Isaiah, if you've read it. From this point on, the whole, uh, whole tone of the book changes, and it says this, a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord makes straight in the desert the highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level and the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I'm the voice, John says. No one had ever really thought of it as a person. This hinge of the book of Isaiah, the voice speaking, is going to be the hinge that John the Baptist uses to share who Jesus was. From this point on in the book of Isaiah, there's this amazing build-up of a symphony, of a message and a story that brings great hope to Israel. Jesus was going to do exactly the same. John the Baptist puts himself right in the hinge of the prophecy of the voice declaring God is coming now. Make way. 
that prophecy, that, that obsession that people had about where the prophets were, had just got mixed up in a political conversation. John says, I'm nothing to do with that. I'm the voice pointing the way to the new king. And he will be Isaiah's vision of a king, not of rulers and, and leaders of the day. What will the voice do? Make straight the way for the Lord. That's what John did, made it straight. When kings uh, wanted to visit their kingdom uh, in the Old Testament times, they would send a party ahead of them to inspect roads, to straighten out paths, to make sure that when the king came on his chariot, he would have a smooth ride so he could appreciate all his kingdom. John the Baptist was making straight the way of the Lord. So his words and these first few um, passages really highlight who he was and what he was doing. And just like Isaiah burst into song from this point afterwards, John's vision of who Jesus was helped Jesus burst into song. The king will come with a name and a face. John, our author, sees Isaiah's vision and Jesus' identity intertwines. So the inspectors, these group of people, they were saying, are you uh, the Messiah? Are you um, Elijah? Are you a prophet? No, not, not any of those things. I'm the voice. They don't even pick it up. They don't question him. It's just uh, someone doing a tick sheet. No, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this. They miss out him saying, I'm this voice. This is who I am. Really what they wanted to get to the bottom of is, what are you doing? John, why are you baptizing people? It wasn't normal to be done in the way that John the Baptist was going. Well, John alludes to that baptism was just the very start of the problem for these people. It's playing with them. Because in the crowd around all of this was happening, they didn't even know it, but Jesus was standing there. In their very midst was the person who was going to cause more problems than just someone baptizing in the river. Today, Jesus was just one of the crowd. Tomorrow, it was all going to kick off. John's making a way, preparing something. Something significant was happening in his actions. Many had been waiting for this moment, this prophetic moment. And I think people would be hanging off John the Baptist's words. John's not the Messiah. He's not the prophet. He's not Elijah. But he's talking about the one who's all those things and more. So what does he say about who Jesus is? What does he say? He says three things. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Spirit of God will descend and remain on him. And he'll baptise with the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to reflect a little bit on those. Then we're going to think about an application. What does this mean for us today? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This takes us again back to Isaiah. The best-known prophetic song is when God's new king is like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Our sins are laid on him. Suffering takes them away. Isaiah sings of there being a new exodus. God will gather his people from all nations away through the sea, away through death. He'll gather them in. John's saying the same thing. That Exodus story is going to be relived in Jesus' story. 
The Exodus story was the sacrifice of the lamb to protect the people during the terrible judgments of Egypt. God tells them to take a lamb, one lamb per household. Take the lamb, kill it, not as punishment, but as a sign. Put the blood on the door and eat the roast lamb. When the angel sees the blood, they will live and the lamb will save the people. This lamb of God was pointing back to just that same story. We put ourselves back in that Egypt story, don't we? We're the ones whose hearts are hardened, who want everything to go our way. In Jesus' sacrifice, we're saved from who we are, saved from the power of sin in our lives. We walk free because Jesus died for us. That's what John's saying about what's going to happen in Jesus' ministry. That this lamb story, this Exodus story, is going to be relived in Jesus' story. Secondly, he says that the Spirit of God will descend and remain on him. The Spirit, or in the Old Testament, it speaks of the wind of God, this manifest presence of God. The Spirit was present on God's people, and the Spirit of God was already on God's people throughout the Old Testament. But here the Spirit was going to rest on Jesus Christ and be revealed to us. I don't know if I've... That passage, uh, the top... Oh no, sorry, wrong one. Um, That the Spirit would rest on him. Just like a dove, John says. Jesus, when the Spirit lands on him, it finds rest and peace with him. The dove uh, is a bird that's easily spooked. They do well in peace and quiet. Jesus was able to live with the dove of peace resting on him. We have that same spirit, but just like the dove is easily disturbed, Jesus was often recorded going off, being by himself, being alone. Quiet times allowed him to stay present with the Spirit. The Spirit of God will descend like a dove and remain on him, just like it can remain on us. And then thirdly, before we think about some application, he will baptise with that same Spirit The Greek word baptizo isn't a religious word. It means drench or dip or immerse or even marinade, uh, if you want to think about it that way. Jesus doesn't just hand out a jab of the Spirit. He marinades us in the Spirit, drenches us in the Spirit. This image of drenching, again, takes the reader back to the passages of Isaiah. We have these amazing verses in Isaiah till the Spirit is poured out on us from high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field feels like like a forest. There's a promise that the Spirit will be poured out. Israel knew what a barren land was like. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that it's a dry and dusty place. But something was going to burst forth, as I was saying for I will pour water on this thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offerings and my blessings on your descendants. They will spring up like grasses in the meadow, like poplar trees by by flowing streams. 
Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord, the Lord's. Out of this spirit was this abundantness. This drenching, and it was a prophecy connecting the old with the new. That's what John the Baptist is doing. He's saying something of the old, and he's hinging it to something of the new. Because that was important. Who Jesus was and what he came to do. Jesus didn't come out of nowhere. He came out of a story. And John is hinging that old story and saying it's so much into the new story. And Jesus did pour out that spirit. It's the spirit was evident in his ministry. It was the spirit that talked about later in John. It's the spirit that came at Pentecost that emboldened the early church and fills us to this day. The filling of the spirit was mega. And it was mega because it was grounded in the old story and John's saying, yes, it's in the new story as well, but it's different. And today the spirit pours out on barren lands and we need to have that spirit today, not just a trickle, but deep waters just like the Spirit rests on Jesus, it too rests on us. And we look at Jesus' ministry and we see that he stayed in the Spirit's presence, in the deep waters of faith. He went through trials and temptations and challenges, but the Spirit was present with him. How can we do that today? How can we do that So to finish, the voice of John the Baptist, the voice of the Old Testament, spoke out to the gathered people. Come and see was the refrain. John wasn't making things up. Jesus wasn't in fancy dress pretending to be something he wasn't. God came into the world. John said, yes, it's in the old story, but I'm going to reveal how it's in the new story. God came into this world, John spots him, the Spirit dwells on Jesus and the people come to him. John was the one preparing the ground for Jesus to walk on. He was the hinge that introduced Jesus to us today. And I would suggest we can be the hinge that introduces Jesus to other people. We are to point people to Jesus Christ, just like John did. We are to be that hinge in this world. So two little points of reflection. Be the hinge to Jesus Christ. Take what is messy and damaged and troubling and painful and in despair and point it to what is glorious, gracious and abundant always being prepared, like Paul says, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. To be a hinge of Jesus' message is a gentle, respectful saying, let's turn direction from over here to over here. We can be that. John the Baptist was a gentle but strong character, a strange character in a lot of ways. But he was the hinge to the world around him, being the voice. We are called to be that same voice 
a hinge in people's lives. Let's not miss the chance to do that. Before the summer, we looked at these um, few questions. It was part of the outward looking of that little mini-series that we did. And it's the same outward looking that helps us to be this hinge, this way of moving across. How can you be a blessing to the earth was the first question to reflect on. How can you show the humble love of God to people around you? And what does being the guest look like? Jesus was often the guest in people's homes, going along to meet and be with others. Can we find ways of being the guest in other people's lives? If you're already doing it, great, keep up with it. Whatever you're doing to be this transformation, whether it's a, a prayer at mealtime, grace, sharing grace with those around you, maybe praying for your kids as they leave the house, maybe praying before work, saying, is there anyone, God, in my daily path that you might put me in front of that actually is going this way and you want me to help them go that way? Are we able to point others to the resurrected Jesus Christ? And secondly, can we allow the dove of peace to rest on our lives? The spirit like a dove rests in places of peace. Can we live lives that allow the spirit to be present with us, allowing the spirit to minister to us and those around us? Maybe we need to find weeks in our, uh, sorry, our space in our week in our heads, in the small amount of time between events or in the, the quietness of home. A challenge to me, and I suspect maybe a challenge to all of us, how can we live lives that allow the Spirit to rest on us? It's not about us training the Spirit, it's about us training ourselves. Sam has a pet hamster, a lovely little hamster, um, he's trained it to sit on his shoulder. That's really good. He's spent a lot of time doing that. He'll sit there uh, and then run around. We don't need to chain the Spirit. We need to be trained to allow the Spirit to rest on us. And looking around this room, I see people with so many different lives, so many challenges, pains, hurts, things that you've gone through, things that you've experienced as pastor, I'm just, I look, and I see stories that you've gone through. Some incredibly painful. Some heartbreaking stories. How can we live lives that allow the Spirit to rest on us through the challenges and the stories of pain and difficulties that you have? Let's not be training the Spirit to sit on us. Let's train ourselves to allow the Spirit to, to um, speak to us. So two applications. Be the hinge to some people around. Not unhinged. Be the hinge to people around you. And secondly, let's train ourselves to be, allow the Spirit to speak to us just like Jesus did. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you would help us live lives that allow you to dwell with us. Whatever challenges we might face, 
whatever things that even now are just buzzing around in our heads, frustrations, hurts and pains. Oh God, help us to live lives that, us, that cultivate this space of peace. There's so much busyness, so much manicness around. Help us not just be a Christian version of it. Help us to live in peace in gentle, with gentleness and humility. And secondly, are there people that you put in our way that we need to be the hinge for, to direct and to point people to you? Help us to be mindful of those God moments in our days and weeks, those people that just happen to come across us. I pray that we might have the boldness to know and the capacity just to risk sharing something of who you are that speaks truth into darkness. Pray for us as a community, as we gather together, as we learn together through the Gospel of John. Thank you for these words that are given to us. Help us to put them into practice this day in our lives around us. Amen.